Hello and welcome to the Week in Review episode 20. We've reached a milestone in uh, our podcast series but we've we've also this week made it more difficult for ourselves since we've started a new series called What's Going On, sort of a, a quick feature reaction by me and SD Wicket to the news. So there's we've limited our scope for this week's uh, more general discussion but there's still plenty to ramble on about as I'm sure you'll know. Uh, so I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as always by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good. It's been a few weeks since I gave a weather forecast. The weather is awful. Yeah, same at mine. Same at mine, which is a good job then that the pubs are now open indoors. Fact, yeah, yeah. Um, and joined also by Luke, who, who looks as though he might have been weathered by a few pints this week, but that's that's just the general look. Have you have you been to the pub yet, Luke? Oh yes, I, I went to the pub on the 18th and uh, yesterday. Went to went to a, a greasy spoons in Birmingham City Centre. Very good. Which one was that? Yeah, the Briar Rose. Oh, I don't know that one. There you are. The, Bri- uh, the Brian Rose. Briar Rose. <laughs> Did they serve uh, piss? <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, right, well... It was pitch black inside, but okay. <laughs> on that, we'll, we'll move to the first feature, which is sort of a staple of this series is, of course, on COVID. Um, and I think there's a few statistics worth highlighting this week. We said... Uh, Sam, didn't we, last night on the the What's Going On episode, that we get bogged down in figures. But there are a couple that are worth noting. Um, And one of them is that despite all this talk about the possibility of a third wave incoming and the need to carry on restrictions beyond June 21st, which is said to be the the last step of the roadmap out of lockdown, uh, 90% of the more than 7,000 neighbourhoods in England and Wales suffered zero deaths from COVID in the whole of the month of April, zero, Um, which I think really brings to light just how much this virus has uh, waned in recent months and and really uh, backs the argument from many that in Britain, at least, the pandemic is over. Um, uh, And also quite funny, I think, that uh, 12 of the 15 so-called hotspots of the Indian COVID variant where the, the, this variant, the strain of the virus is really prevalent, have seen no increase in cases in recent weeks. And these are the hotspots. So imagine what it's like elsewhere. And of course, the, the idea of whether or not someone has uh, this particular strain of the virus and whether or not they're actually ill or being hospitalised is yet another matter. I think they've found in these areas that uh, partly due to general immunity uh, from people having had the virus in the past, partly through the vaccine and partly through um people having immunities anyway or being young and not vulnerable to the virus the number of deaths from the strain uh, remains to be very low so Mm. with all this in mind why aren't we out of lockdown right now oh it's obvious right i mean the the benchmark now has to be daily resurrections yeah (laughs) zero covid isn't enough i mean we, we we saw um a few days ago, there was a stat that uh, of the seven regions in England, five of five of whom had seen zero COVID deaths. That included the southeast, southwest. You know, um, yeah, it's 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 baffling. And, and again, the it shows that once again we've we've been lied to when the government said data not dates. I mean, it's the data tells us that that we should be free as a bird right now. But of course, mm. we're, we're going to be in lockdown until we're going to be in you know effective lockdown until June twenty first, and after then, even some more. Yeah, well, a brief comment there on the sort of the media coverage of cases and deaths. It always made me laugh that they say deaths have increased today 
the number of deaths in Britain has increased. Well, of course it's increased. We're not going to see people coming back to life, as you say. The, the figures always grow. They're never going to go downwards. Um, they were talking about overall number, not the not the specific numbers of deaths in that day, which I think is one of the many, many ways the media has spun uh, the news in order to bring out more fear from the population, mm. um, which, again, doesn't seem to be stopping despite all of the positive news. And it, it seems that they, they threw a Hail Mary last night where uh, we, 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 uh, William Parker showed us an article that uh, apparently a, a new triple mutant variant has emerged in Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> but at this point, it, it just it just bounces off me. But this is a good time to to, to bring in Luke because we we have, we have left him uh, left him out in the corner. Yeah, after hearing the, the triple mutant variant, unfortunately, I can't swear on the show. But imagine, I think we'll all have the same reaction when we saw those three words. Yeah. And um, yes, uh, I mean, uh, the question, the question word, has yeah. to be asked: whether we're still in a pandemic, which, which the the answer is clearly no. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you look at the, the death figures, COVID is killing so few and um, heart disease is the biggest killer. And it has always been the biggest killer, both before, during and will be after COVID. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason why we're still in lockdown is, is the same reason why we aren't seeing these um, figures on bus stops. We're seeing, oh, they say stay apart. And in the media, all this hysteria over the Indian variant and the, the triple mutant Indian Johnson variant, whatever you can call it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I mean the, the press has always been abysmal in this pandemic, but this, this, is, this is a new low. This mm. is more than lying by omission now. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Johnson variant because the Johnson variant has a, has a bizarre side effect where whenever you speak, your nose grows longer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, so there's there's been a large influx in the amount of you know fatherless children in a number of areas, which might be another, another <laughs> impact of the the Johnson spike. But um, it affects males in a way by giving them even more mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. I, I mean, you talk about um, death figures for COVID being low, Luke, and there's there's something else which you wanted to mention, which it, we we keep on looking because the media sort of forces us to, and the and the the press conferences from Downing Street. We focus only on COVID deaths, not within the wider context of general deaths in Britain as a whole. And I, I saw a statistic, I think over the past month or so, COVID deaths have been about 2%, less than that even, or maybe even 1.4%, if I remember correctly, of total deaths in Britain. Yeah, it's we, over. Really brings it into context. Yeah. This is this is just nothing compared to the other ills that are facing us. Well, aside. It's it, it's it's a trick of the lens, right? It, it's you know wherever the lens is pointed, that that that's what you see. If the rhetoric around COVID was the same for road collisions, we'd be the we we would we'd be discussing urgently the need for you know car lockdowns and you know, that sort of thing. And it just shows that you know again the walls are pulled over our eyes because unfortunately there are a certain amount of deaths we do have to tolerate a year you know we with with, with flu seasons with with you know with with cancer and in the past with things like uh, hiv and and um and polio and smallpox and anything like anything like that we there's an there's an a, an amount of um fatality that we do accept because it's utterly ludicrous to lock down our lives for what are if you look at the the cohorts that are dying what is uh, unfortunately just seemingly natural causes Mm. with a few extra steps well there's an interesting point there on um which links to that on 
the hospitalisation of children, uh, which has been recorded as being due to COVID. But a, a study in America from this week found that um, in, a, in many areas, a lot of the children who were recorded as being in hospital for COVID were actually there for another reason. That their primary uh, reason for inpatient treatment was for another illness, another disease, and, and they might have happened to contract COVID whilst there. Uh, not that they then needed treatment for that. Some of them did need treatment for the COVID, which they developed whilst at hospital. Many of them didn't. So it, it's, again, sort of the fiddling with the figures, which makes it much worse. And I'm sure the same is happening in this country, no, not only in, in hospitals and not only of children, but in, in much wider circumstances. Um, so, as always, the, the truth behind a lot of the things which are being brought up to scare us into submission uh, are at least dubious. Yeah, that, that, that's that's been that's been the case throughout the year. I mean, your point about um, children in hospital, whether whether they um, are suffering from COVID and are receiving treatment from that, or um, are in there for other reasons and contraction in hospital. I mean, that's also happened for COVID deaths. I mean, I, I think the definition of a COVID death in the UK has changed at least three times. The most yeah. wide ranging is that catching COVID within twenty eight days mm -hmm. and. I'm sure much of those cases, when the inquiry is written, will have um, people going into hospital for other conditions, maybe heart disease, maybe cancer, contracting COVID there, passing, a, having a positive COVID death, a COVID case, and then dying within 28 days. Mm. But also, like, what's the what's the outer limit of that? Like, you know, if I'm walking down the street and someone drops a, a cinder block off a building and it lands on my head and kills me, and I have coronavirus, would that go into the books? I, I, I don't know. Well, no, it would. It's as Luke said. It's any death within twenty-eight days of contracting COVID. So I don't, I don't actually think they look at cause of death per se because that would take too long. You'd need coroner's reports, all these sorts of things. As far as I'm aware, what they do is they take notice of someone who's contracted COVID and then, you know, look at whether they're still alive in twenty-eight days. If they're not alive, then it's a COVID death. Um, which of course is absolute nonsense because yeah, it's pure, it, it's pure, it's pure manipulation. It is manipulation, um, and it's it's manipulation of data used to manipulate people, uh, which, as you say, Lucas, has been employed throughout the whole of the past year, and and now already, despite the 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 rate at which the Indian variant, as it's called, spreads, having been thrown under massive questioning today, as I said almost 100%, must be 90-odd percent of the, the, the Indian variant hotspots have seen no rise in infection. So that really does show, or at least bring to question, the, the transmission rate. Despite that, and despite the knowledge, um, at least there being nothing against this knowledge, that the vaccines do protect against the Indian variant. Despite this as well, we, we heard today on vaccine passport announcements, there's a, a good piece in the Financial Times, which cites a number of Westminster sources, who say they're almost certain that vaccine passports will be used for large events. And then at the very bottom of the piece, another Whitehall source close to the government said uh, that the if there is a third wave of COVID or if cases continue to increase, then the use of vaccine passports could extend into other areas. So that could may well include areas that have already been ruled out, such as pubs, restaurants, 
um, and, and theatres and cinemas, for example, which we've been told we won't need passports for, but I'm sure that, the, you know, under the guise of fear relating to the Indian variant, they may very well come into force by the end of the year. Well, um, I, I think the government are waiting until all age groups have been offered the, uh, the vaccine yet, and then all the guilt trips will start. They'll say, oh, so-and-so, some percentage of this demographic hasn't received it. How, how dare they? We need vaccine passports. You're killing people. You can, it, it's just in the headlights, isn't it? How, how long can that last, though, if people just aren't dying? I mean, uh, like if, if what the government and the WHO is saying, which is that all vaccines work against all variants and the cases are going to continue to plummet because we've, at this point, essentially reached herd immunity. I mean, the, the pandemic is effectively over. How... How how long can that uh, guilt trip last if people just simply aren't dying? It can last for how long the hysteria lasts and how long oh, the God. press and the government are able to keep God, it up. That's, that's going to last a generation. Yeah. Well, as, as long as, you know, we as soon as we find out that we're safe from the Indian variant, as you say, Luke, we hear of this new triple whammy uh, buy one, get one free variant, which um, I don't even know how that works, actually. It doesn't work, but we'll stick <laughs> with it. We, we get fear of a new variant, which we're then told this may be more transmissible. It may cause greater hospitalisation rates and greater death rates. So even when we know that one thing isn't going to hurt us, the, the prospect of another comes into force and is then on the front pages. And, and the refuseniks, as the mail keeps on calling them, are hounded for not taking this vaccine uh, against a virus from which they're completely safe and from mm. which their older relatives are completely safe. Um, or, kind of or failing that, they'll, they'll fall back on old reliable, which is long COVID. Yes, well, again on that, um, there's a, a really good piece which Will Jones wrote on Lockdown Skeptics recently about long COVID. And studies have shown that the, the damage of uh, so-called long COVID have been completely overplayed and that some of the, the so-called symptoms from this are actually also found in people who haven't had the virus. Um, so that you know, some of the studies, again, around long COVID are very much um, overdone, I think, in by the media. And I think long COVID is another of these long drawn out, uh, slightly dubious, uh, but helpful in terms of spreading fear methods from the media and the government. I think how that the um, our dear leaders can um, amp up the hysteria over new variants is, is to say that the vaccine doesn't work. Yeah, well, it's been really interesting, actually, over the variant. The, the thing that keeps on striking me is that one minute this variant comes in and we're told, well, hang on a minute. We're not sure how well the vaccine works for it. We don't know that much about the vaccine yet or the new variant, so it might overtake it um, and, and we need more research done there. Yet at the same time, they say, we know everything about the vaccine. It's really safe. Trust us on the vaccine. It's great. Give it to young children under the age of 12 immediately. You think, well, hang on a minute, which one is it? Do we know enough about the vaccine? Is it safe enough to take? Will it help against variants? Um, or is it not safe? And should we not be giving it to people who are healthy anyway and who are more vulnerable, uh, according to some data, to uh, harm from especially the AstraZeneca vaccine with blood clotting and also the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine? So it's, it is it is a sort of a strange counterpoint, almost, almost Orwellian, um, of, you know, trust me, but don't trust me. Um, I don't know when it ends. It sort of keeps people in, in, in a state of uncertainty. Mm. Mm. Which, 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 which is where they'll 
they'll clamor for answers and the answers will be found obviously in, in the in sage in the bureaucracy and the supranational bodies like the who um yeah for, so for as long as for as long as people are kept in the dark that they're, they're just gonna you know keep reaching for the superficial light that's offered by the people who have imprisoned us mm. well i think on that given you know the the idea of the the superficial light i went to a a local yesterday and had a, a good pint of stairway to heaven uh, a, a good burton bridge beer which you must try if you find it um and the the second topic we wanted to, to discuss today which me and sam talked about briefly uh, yesterday and sam's written a, a good article on uh, for online is the idea of pubs now luke you're going to talk about this but this is a, a brief intro a lot of pubs obviously have closed over the the course of lockdowns and very much because of lockdowns um, but the idea really is that even those pubs which have stayed open have very much changed because of the need to sign in to not uh, not get within X feet from other people, whether they be friends and family or not, um, mask requirements, all this, not being able to go to the bar. It's changed those pubs which have even been lucky enough to stay open. So what, what did you want to say on this today, then, Luke? Over quick quick intro for me before I get into the, the real meat of the issue is that the worst thing about these new restrictions is the pub app. It is now I am from the generation of technology. I still don't like it because oftentimes it doesn't work. And uh, I mean, for example, yes, yesterday I was in the pub and a drink with my father, and uh, I ordered a drink for us both. And I saw that my card had been authenticated, my order had been placed. That the app tells me, tells me to that the bartender will be over soon, but no, no, no it, it it never came. And we we called up the bar, and um, all they said um, that the order hadn't come through on them on their screen, but. I will still charge for it. So, anyways, <laughs> bloody thieves. <laughs> so, um, going from a story from the Mail Online. So, um, every week during the the, the three never-ending lockdowns, six pubs that have closed. So, three hundred eighty-four in total. And if these buildings aren't lying derelict in the middle of nowhere, they've most likely been converted in, into residential lettings. And uh, for another statistic, Britain has essentially lost 1% of its locals over the year. Now, this may seem like, like a small figure, but remember, in the communities which these closures have affected, the, the impact isn't really something you could show with, with a spreadsheet. Mm. Now, now yeah. the, the pubs, as we've played on repeatedly, one of the core features of British life. And um, give, given that, we, we are becoming even more of an atomized germophobic society full of netflix addicts that the communal atmosphere which the pub provides has been further hammered into the into the ground as i say not not just with closures but with all these bureaucratic with with all these covid restrictions and god-awful apps hmm. yeah and um sorry yeah uh, go on this this is what we we're talking about last night and in, in my article which is that yeah six pubs are closed every week but i mean every pub in the country has lost its soul I think it's worth noting briefly as well that we talk about, as you say, Luke, it's 1% doesn't sound like a lot, I suppose, many people, um, although six a week does. But what's important to note as well is that whilst many of the chains have been able to fare well during the course of uh, lockdowns because there's they've got more cash behind them, bigger figures, more investment, more venues, all this, therefore more support as well from the government, I imagine. I think a lot of the pubs which are likely to have seen their doors closed permanently over the past year are 
more of your local pubs. So the pubs which don't sell food, which probably don't have TVs in, uh, may not have music, but it's only very quiet if they do, and are more focused on, as you say, community. Because, you know, the, the Weatherspoons and that are great, but um, actually, in terms of having a nice local community spirit, in many cases, your local is much better, um, by which I mean independently owned or part of a, you know, one of the the main letting agents for pubs like Dorby Air or something like that, which is still owned by two independent bar uh, uh, publicans. So, yeah, I think having lost many of the local, more local pubs where community spirit is stronger is a, is a great disadvantage because we were going to get to the stage, I think, and we were getting there already before lockdowns occurred, but this has made it much worse, where if you want to go to a pub, you have to go to one which is essentially a restaurant with a child's bull pit outside, um, raging TVs, uh, and a load of drunk youth. So that's, that's basically the best that's now on offer. You've got to essentially go to a student sports bar. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. When we were in Brum, we, we as soon as we could avoided the, uh, the, the actual popular student bar and went to another around the corner, which I think was much more well relaxed, but also you're able to have a conversation there rather than some crazy DJ uh, pulling out some rubbish on the speakers. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's what pubs have turned into, I think, since, since the smoking ban and all these unjust tax rates, that pubs have to become more restaurants, more appealing to, to the youth of today, so they have to put on god-awful music. Hmm. And um, I think COVID, COVID has just furthered that. Hmm. Well, especially if those who are most fearful of COVID are older people, and the pubs in where, where the community spirit is strongest are the ones which are mainly dominated by older people. So if they're not going back to the pubs, uh, then the pubs will either transform into centres of, <laughs> of youth or just uh, as these hundreds have over the past year cease to exist. Um, and the impact on that on local community is, is ginormous. Also, um, with, with that, this, this whole hypochondria is doomed to continue because young people are very chameleonic. They for the most part they shift and form with um popular opinion um the, the the fact that they're you know inherently countercultural is a bit of a myth um and as as you know it's a consider the highest status opinion to be you know utterly terrified of this virus which i mean for anyone younger than 60 is quite benign um yeah that, that that's just going to carry on yeah I, I think another important point actually about your small locals closing is that and at these sorts of pubs we're talking about, a lot of the customers aren't, you know, family people or in many cases, even married. A lot of uh, widowers or, or widows um, attending these sorts of pubs who go there to be with other locals so that they're not alone, sit in their, their flats or homes by themselves. So it, this is another point where it's, it's not only a centre of general community, but also, I suppose, a, a, a helpline for, for people who otherwise live very lonely existences um, and that these locals are needed. A place where you can go in and have friends and people who know you and, and waiting on you rather than strangers. Um, so that that is a, another problem which is likely going to help along the other uh, statistics which have been rising over the past year of, of mental illnesses and suicides as a result of, of uh, the, the destruction of socialization through lockdowns. Mm -hmm. 
Well, on that, I think we'll go on to the, the last topic and, and those less interested in lockdowns will be pleased to hear that we're, we're not for once talking about COVID, but instead about the Dyson inquiry, which isn't an inquiry into the, the text sent between James Dyson and the Prime Minister, but instead a look into the treatment of uh, Princess Diana by the BBC and with the, the Bashir interview um, and how it handled uh, both then and also more recently certain allegations of, uh, of basically forcing an interview which led to um, pretty dire consequences. So mm. Sam, what is it that uh, you found interesting about this story this week? Well, firstly, to provide a, a layer of context, uh, yes, in 1996, I believe, uh, Princess Diana gave an interview to the BBC's Martin Bashir. Um, it was um, a very controversial interview in which in which she effectively candidly um, admitted to um, various affairs um, while married to the Prince of Wales, um, after which uh, Diana was stripped of her royal titles and privileges. Um, which then meant she was that she was denied um, the, the real the real sort of high quality protection that royals normally get. Obviously, then a year later, um, during a, a, a chase with uh, with more predatory journalists, um, although I, 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 I hesitate to label paparazzi as journalists, um, she was she was tragically uh, killed in a car crash in Paris. Um, the the interview has been uh, controversial for a long time because of that, uh, and in the last year, it's just started to emerge how Martin Bashir secured the interview. the The first thing and the thing that is of the most concern, which is that um, he commissioned a graphic designer to make fake bank statements, which um, were supposedly proof that Diana's household staff were spying on her. Um, the bank statements show payments from both the security services and from the news of the world, um, which, you know, um, if, if you guys have, have um, listened to uh, Prince William's uh, really great speech this morning on the matter, uh, more sorry, uh, last night on the matter, um, he describes the last months of Diana's life as being one of isolation and paranoia and just fear. Um, and this interview really, really caused that. Um, so yes, Martin Bashir um, basically convinced Diana and her brother Earl Spencer that her staff were spying on her, that she was going to get you know shafted in the press, and this was her chance to get ahead of the punch and get her voice out there first. It was complete manipulation of a very beloved royal, um, and it had you know awful consequences. Um, the real question now is. Did the BBC know about this at the time, and did they did they uh, encourage Bashir to behave in this way? Well, we know from the inquiry that the BBC protected Bashir, so that, for me at least, that indicates slightly that they at least knew what he was doing. Mm. Well, as you said before we started recording, Sam, usually uh, a story of this magnitude with this this level of underhand tactics, and uh, uh, not only against someone who is a public figure, but a member at that point of the royal family. So very, very serious stuff would be enough to bring a corporation or an institution down. Uh, but it seems very unlikely that whilst the, the BBC is facing some scrutiny at the moment, uh, that will be seen um, or that, that will even be that properly considered uh, by government figures and by, by other leading figures within institutions. And I suppose part of the reason for that is uh, that, as you said before we recorded, Luke, there's been many other topics where 
the, the BBC's handling of a certain topic or it's cover, covering up of uh, certain rumours which transpire to be true, uh, didn't have that impact either on the, the existence of the BBC. And so why should this? Well, the, it goes back to, the, to, the, to the, the last point I made, which is, were the BBC complicit in this? Well, here's, a, here's another thing that, that leans towards that, which is there was an investigation done around the time of the interview conducted by Lord Hall, who at the time of the interview was the director of BBC News and Current Affairs. Um, he did this investigation and found no wrongdoing whatsoever. Well, this, this latest investigation has... has um, uh, has basically attacked that um, report. Um, it said it was, you know, it, it was woefully ineffective, you know, arguably by by design, um, and it did not address the question of whether or not the showing of fake bank statements to Diana's brother um, was. Um, well, it, it didn't address that at all, which is a, you know, a, a, a vital omission in 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 the reporting um, because that is that is literally the only way he got the interview was to. Um, lie to and deceive um, Diana and, and her brother. So uh, again, you know, this um, the the BBC, you know, takes takes a lot of flack for its uh, editorialising and its, you know, its um, its the the political bias of its comedy programming and and dramas and and that sort of thing. But the understanding always was that, despite the fact that the BBC has a thinly veiled uh, leniency towards a certain political side. It always, quote unquote, acted in a you know a morally upstanding manner. It was always you know the the, the pinnacle of of um, traditional journalism. Well, not anymore. Mm. And 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 th and this is you know this is the one this is the one that, that they've been caught out for. I mean, how this is, this could happen countless times. I, I mean. The well, the main, the main reason why, why the BBC will, will shake off this scandal, because they will, is that, think about it, the news about scandals are always temporary. They always hit the press like a firestorm. There's lots of outrage, lots of questions being asked, and then it sort of fizzles into the dust. Well, the uh, th that, that happened with the Savile Inquiry. Is yeah. that again? I said that the next scandal then raises its head, so the old one gets forgotten about. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like the variants. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Who remembers now the Kent variant? That's old news. It's all yeah. about India. The, the, the triple mutant Indian whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Savile scandal should have ended the BBC. It, it didn't. The BBC is, is still collecting our licence fee money. Mm. Yeah, so um, I recommend anyone reads the inquiry's findings because it is very damning um and it, it's maybe some maybe something that, that we'll address in the future but i think for now we should move on to miscellaneous yeah so i mean some of the other big topics uh, from this week one of them is the the ongoing uh, attempted assault against the road statue um which has hit another roadblock uh, apparently the, the the statue can't fall down because that is it something relating to the because of certain government regulations, the cost of bringing it down would be too high. It seems to be one of the, the latest sticking points, which for once, thank goodness for red tape. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wish the the Don's Oriole had just just had the, had the balls to say, no, this isn't coming down. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it it, it it's, it's interesting, isn't it? So, so it seems like they don't want it to come down. They don't want to 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 bend to the will of you know hysterical students um but red tape is just their sort of their convenient way of doing it to avoid you know 
getting themselves targeted for uh, unpersoning. Yeah, well, I think if if the if the dons, as you say, were to come out and just say it uh, that they were opposed to this, uh, then the, the the statue wouldn't only be pulled down by protest, but would be thrown onto the dons' offices, uh, <laughs> and maybe the dons would be pulled down with them. Uh, so I think there uh, there is. I'd hate to say it, but there's there's justification for them being so timid uh, because these people undoubtedly will have families, children, uh, people who will be brought down into the mire with them. Uh, and also reputations. These things mean a lot. When David Starkey got tarnished last year, it's easy to think that he, you know, he no longer appeared on Question Time, but it's much more than that. Actually, these these things that people build up through their careers, uh, the various accolades, the, the books that they've written, the publishers they the, they've signed with, and the universities they represent when they're dropped from these things. Um, I suppose it's the old conservative saying that things are much easier to pull down than to build up. And th th these accomplishments took many, many years to, to you know, build into the personal reservoir and took uh, 10 seconds to destroy because some fool thought they had a you know, great point about some small clip online. Um, so yeah, I understand the tentativeness, but it, it, it's good at least that for reasons not because of the dons, but due to uh, certain government um, restrictions, the one time they can be good, uh, is that this, it seems, won't be pulled down, although I'm sure it won't be the end of the debate. Yeah. I always thought it was incredibly odd when the, the BLM protesters knelt in front of um, the Statue of Rhodes. As out, out of context and out of knowledge that it was a BLM movement, it looked like a group of students was idolising him or something. So they can continue to do that now that statue is up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, it's high up, isn't it? It's it's not. It's, it's, not, it's not at ground level. I mean, it'd be it's gone. like the portraits of Kim yeah. Jong Un. It all must always yeah, yeah, be at yeah, a yeah. high angle. It, 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 yeah, it it, it would have gotten Colston if it was on a ground level. Although I would have um, thought, I would have thought that Kim Jong Un would want to have a, a a statue sort of below ground level, so that you don't look up and immediately see the double chins. But there you are. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's something they're proud of in that culture. In which case, I need to move. <laughs> I'll be idolised. <laughs> there you are. I, I, I think on that, on the on the not pulling down of statues, will uh, a slight modicum of positive news will end this week's week in review. And we're very grateful, as always, for you listening to our twentieth episode. And we'll be carrying on for another twenty, uh, so long as you keep listening. So thanks very much. See you next week. <laughs>